I'm stoked to be here this morning. I hope you're stoked to be here. Um, yeah, I, um, this morning I'm speaking a message called, What Do You See? Um, what Do You See? And I'm going to get into it because I always spend too much time talking about random stuff at the start and get distracted. Um, but this morning I'm going to share a message and I guess I was inspired by this message by a book I haven't read. And I quite often get inspired to speak a message by a book I haven't read. I did it uh, earlier this year at Daughters, um, where, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you like see a book and you read like the title of the book and the back of the book, maybe the preface, what, do you say it? Preface? I don't know, how do you say it? Whatever. You, re- you read like the, about the book and you just feel like you get the book. You're like, I don't even need to read this book because I know what this book is about. And so... This message this morning is kind of inspired by a book I haven't read, um, which I just read a small amount of the back and the front of it, and I just felt like I got it. Um, I will read the book sometime and I'll update you if I got it completely wrong. Um, but this morning I'm going to speak um, yeah, a message based on a book, and the book is called Giants Must Fall, and it's by a guy called Louis Giglio. Um, if you've read it, feel free to tell me about it later. That'd be great. Um, but I'm going to pray and we'll get into it. Awesome. God, I thank you for every single person here this morning, God. I thank you that, yeah, we can be in your house, God. We have the great privilege of being in your presence, God. And I pray that as we, yeah, as I speak this morning, God, and we, yeah, listen and hear and learn things, God, that you would speak to us and you would speak to our hearts, God, and that each of us would walk out of this place with something that you've spoken to us personally about, God, and we would walk out different because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. I'm not sure if you've ever needed a perspective shift on something, but there's been plenty of times in my life where I have either needed one or I have got one. And if I was trying to think of something, um, the first thing that comes to mind is um, I'm quite a competitive, I I was going to say sports person, but I'm not a sports person, but I'm competitive at sports. And I like to think that I'm good at sport. If you know me, you may know that about me. Um, I just genuinely, Dave spoke about this like a few weeks ago, but I also think I'm good at everything. Um, And I quite often get proven wrong. Um, but a couple of years ago, um, Dave and I decided that we would go down to Mount Ruapehu and go skiing. And neither of us had ever skied or snowboarded before. But I can skateboard and I can water ski. So I was confident that I would be great at it. So we get down there. We hire the skis. And like, have you been to the mountain recently? It is not cheap, eh? Like a day at the mountain. Oh, my goodness. So expensive. And so we're like, if we're paying this much money... We don't want to waste it in Happy Valley. And if you don't know, Happy Valley is like the relatively flat, like small slope uh, where you can learn to ski or snowboard. Uh, So it's for beginners and you can go there and, you know, just go down these little slopes and back up and learn how to do like simple things like brake and steer, um, which are quite important when you're going to snowboard or ski down a mountain. But Dave and I, trying to get the most bang for our buck, we're like, there's no point wasting time in Happy Valley, when we already know we're going to be good at this, when I already know that I can water ski and skateboard well, so I'm going to be fine. And so Dave and I jump on this ski lift and we head up, I think it's called the Rock Gardens, I'm not sure, but we head up the actual mountain, confident. Uh, My perspective was very, like, I was going to be great at it. I was very sure that I would, um, I I knew I'd beat Dave as well, that I'd be great at it, I'd beat Dave. um, And it just was going to be a genuinely good day. And I've got to say, I still did beat Dave. But I was terrible at skiing. <laughs> it's true, I did. <laughs> we were both terrible at skiing. And so it was basically as soon as we got off the ski lift at the top of the mountain, my perspective completely changed. I realized I literally knew nothing 
about skiing on a mountain. It was completely different to skiing in the water because in the water you didn't have to be able to slow down or stop. Like you just go for it. Like the boat pulls you, you don't have to stop. And on the mountain, we had zero idea of how we could possibly slow down to go around a corner or stop when we got to the bottom of the hill. And so it was basically like a good 30 minutes of us just like getting up, speeding down every time we got to a corner and then just bailing because we didn't know how to turn or stop. In the end, both of us took our skis off and walked down the mountain carrying our skis in defeat. And we, we didn't even try again. Like, that was it for the day. And so our whole thing of, like, we don't want to waste time in Happy Valley ended up we just, like, wasted all this money by basically walking down the mountain once and then sitting in the cafe for the rest of the day. <laughs> and... There's been lots of other times in my life where I've needed a perspective shift. Like so many times where I've thought something's going to be easy or this is how something is or this is how I'm going to be at something. And then I really found out at the end it was completely different, that I wasn't good at that or it wasn't what I thought. Um, and so many times in my life I've had this like perspective shift, kind of like a slap in the face um, where I realized something was different. And this morning my message kind of was born out of a perspective shift I had about something in the Bible where I kind of um, read something and it challenged me and changed my perspective, and it kind of felt like a, like a, well, not like a slap in the face, like a good one, like kind of like an oh my goodness moment. Um, a moment where, just like when I was skiing, I realized I'd thought about it completely wrong, how good I was. I realized something in the Bible, I'd kind of been looking at it, not wrong, but I looked at it in a new way that changed my perspective. And this morning, um, I want to share that with you, and it's out of the story of David and Goliath, um, which is one of the most like classic, well-known stories um, in the Bible, it's an underdog tale, right? A, a good story. Does anyone like the story of David and Goliath? It's a good one. Um, I grew up loving this story, always wanting to be like David, like fight lions, kill bears. It's an awesome story. Um, and so, I guess, yeah, I'm going to talk about that this morning. And I think the story is important for us because all of us face giants in our life. In the story, if you don't know it, I'll briefly talk about it. But in the story, David fights a giant named Goliath. And in our lives, we also face today giants, right? Big things that come at us um, that seem scary and impossible and things that we kind of think maybe we could never beat them. Um, and maybe they're things like fear or anger or hurt or relationship issues, whatever it is. We face things that are big and scary in our lives. And I think this story is important because I guess there's so much we can learn from it. Um, and this morning, I, yeah, I guess I already said I was speaking about this because of a perspective shift I had. And I guess as I speak about this morning, my hope is that you will also, I guess, learn something new and maybe be able to see your own life and your own giants in a different way because of it. Um, and so the story of Daniel, oh my gosh, David, David and Goliath. If I say Daniel and Goliath, someone just like tell me because that's, I'm going to do it now. Um, the story of David and Goliath is from 1 Samuel 17. And I feel like most of you would have heard the story because it's not just in church we talk about the story, like sports team talk about it, like movies talk about it. It's like the classic underdog tale, like we love a good underdog Tail right. Every time everyone watches the rugby, they're like, South Africans are going to win. It's going to be like the greatest underdog tail, and then All Blacks win again. One day, I'm sure one day it'll happen. Um, <laughs> but this is a classic underdog story, and it's a story about two armies um, that have come for a battle, and it's the Israelite army and the Philistine army, and they're camped in this big valley um, to fight. And what happens is the Philistines, they have a big advantage. They have a giant called Goliath, and the Bible says he is nine foot tall, which is pretty dang big. Um, it talks about like all the armor he wears, and he's like heavy and strong, and his spear's like some ridiculous like heavy weight. And Goliath's like their 
I don't know, their secret weapon. And so what they decide is they're like, we're going to send Goliath down to the Israelite camp every day and say, why don't we have a one-on-one fight? Instead of like, instead of going to war, let's just have a one-on-one fight. And whoever wins, then whoever loses, really, whoever loses their whole army will be slaves to the other army. And so that's what they'd say. They'd say, let's just do a one-on-one fight. And so every day, Goliath would walk across in between the two, like, army camps, and he would say, someone come and fight me. And so if you can imagine, if you're like a normal height like me, um, some nine-foot kind of giant would be quite scary. And so the Bible says this about the Israelites. It says, the army of Israel was terrified and deeply shaken. No one would fight Goliath. Does anyone think that's fair enough? I think I would be terrified and deeply shaken. Um, Sometimes I... When I like play games, sometimes I can quite imagine that I'm in real life. And so I'm, when I went paintballing last time, I got very scared while I was paintballing. Like, not because of the paintballs hitting me, but we were in a forest in West Auckland. And I just kind of imagined that I was in an actual war and just how easy it was to die. And it was just freaking me out. And I was like hiding in a bush the whole time, like not ready to come out because it was just scaring me, like imagining how real it was. And so I can't even imagine being in a war where there's this giant saying, who will fight? And every single day for 40 days, Goliath would come out and Israel, every single person in Israel would be too scared to fight. No one would do it. No one wanted to. Like, why would you? Like, it was almost certainly going to mean your death in your country, then being slaves, your army being slaves to a different army. And so no one wanted to do it. Um, and then along comes David. And David is like a young man. He's a teenager and he's a shepherd. Um, and he wasn't even old enough to be in the army The only reason he was there is because he was coming to bring bread and cheese for his brothers who were in the army and they needed food. And so David turns up and he gets there when Goliath is out yelling and he's like, why is no one going to fight this guy? And everyone's like, David, go home. Stop being annoying. Duh, he's massive. What do you think's going to happen? But David had this like crazy spirit within him. He's like, I can take on this guy. And at first everyone told him to shut up and his brothers were like, David, go home. You've been annoying, like embarrassing little brother. Go home. But eventually word got to the king. There was a boy who was saying he would take on the giant. And so what happens is Saul the king, he summons David and he gets him to come. And David basically convinces the king that he should go. A teenage boy who's not old enough or strong enough for the army should go and face this giant. And first of all, I think it's kind of crazy that they said yes to that because like it's not just like oh well if he dies he dies but if David dies they were all going to be slaves like that's how freaked out they were that they were just like didn't know what to do that they let this teenage boy like they put the hope of their whole army in this teenage boy that didn't really make sense and David was too small to wear the armor he couldn't even fit it on and so David says and said that he'll take his sling which um he used to protect his sheep and to fight lions and bears and he goes and I'm sure you know the story he fights Goliath, he runs up to him, he slings a stone, pebble, uh, into his head, which kills Goliath. Goliath falls, and David runs up and cuts his head off, uh, which is pretty gnarly. Um, and then the Philistine army was so scared, they were like so shocked, they ran away and they fled, and the war was won. And so that's the story of David and Goliath, and it's like a pretty crazy story. It's like a, I always found the story real inspirational, like, I don't know, challenging, cool. Um, but this morning, Based on the the back cover of the book I read, um, I just have four observations I want to talk about from the story that we can learn from, and I hope you can learn from, and I hope that will um, 
I guess, challenge you as it did me and show you some things about your own life as it did me. And so the first one I want to talk about, um, and I kind of briefly already alluded to this, is that we still face giants. So the first observation is we still face giants. And this story is around 3,000 years old, um, maybe more. But for some of us, we can relate to this very clearly, like the idea of fighting a giant, something coming and yelling at us in our lives that's really scary and seems impossible is quite like real to us. Something we, you know, maybe experienced this today or three days ago. Something like a fear in your life coming and yelling at you and standing in your way and saying, what are you going to do now? Um, and we all face giants in our lives. Um, we don't really, we can't really get away from it. And I just want to briefly talk about two ways that the Israelite army reacted to their giant Goliath um, that I think sometimes we can do as well. And the first one, the first way, way they reacted is they were terrified and deeply shaken. And so that's what the Bible says. They were terrified and deeply shaken. And I think that's fair enough, uh, a fair enough way to react to a giant, right? To be terrified by it and very scared because like when that means possible death, like that is a fair enough um, response. And I guess the thing that challenges me is, like, you know, we talk about, I just talked about, we face giants in our life today as well, and although they're not like a nine-foot-tall man, um, they're, they're real things for us in our lives. And sometimes we can think that, you know, like if we become Christians, it's really easy and our life will be good and we won't have to face things um, because we have Jesus. But the truth is, even Israel, Israel, who was God's chosen people, they still had to fight. They still had to come against this big giant, Goliath. And in our lives too, um, no matter like if we know Jesus, if we don't, we're always going to come up against things that are like giants in our lives, things that are big, things that are scary, things that we don't know if we can possibly fight on our own, things that like reoccurring things that just keep coming up and we think we've finally killed the giant, it just pops up again. And I think just like Israel did, it's really easy to let something big in our life like that make us terrified and deeply shaken. Or I guess another way to say it is like to paralyze us in fear. Um, and it's easy to let big things in our lives freeze us and stop us from moving forward. And so the first way they reacted is they were terrified. The second way they reacted is they learned to live with a giant. And some people say that, um, you know, David turns up with food and his brothers were just in the camp. And every day they would hear the giant yelling, but, you know, they wouldn't even bother going to the line anymore because they were just so used to it. It had been 40 whole days of it and they were just like chilling in the camp, getting their brothers to bring them food. They were just eating. They were just chilling out. It was like... We're not going, they weren't even thinking about going to fight him anymore. They'd already decided. They would just learn to like live with him yelling in the background. And every day they were like, you know what, whatever. They didn't even notice it. And so the reason David came and he was so shook, he was so like, what the heck, when he could hear the giant yelling, he was like, oh my goodness. But the other, the other guys, they'd learn to live with it. It had been 40 whole days. It was usual for them now. They weren't even surprised by it. And for 40 days and 40 like nights, they'd heard Goliath come and yell at them, like, where's your God? Who's your God? What are you going to do? Do you have no one you can send to me? You're weak. Like, he'd be mocking them and yelling at them for 40 days. And I think sometimes in our life, we can also respond to big things like that. We can just learn to live with something in our life, which is really big. Instead of, like, you know, doing something about it, we can just be like, you know what? I think I'm probably always going to deal with this issue. I think the issue may always just be there because it's a little bit too big for me to handle. Um, I think I'm just going to, you know, like maybe it's just part of me and my personality or like, you know, what I have to deal with. And we just accommodate things in our lives which we actually shouldn't and we actually shouldn't let stay there. And, you know, the Israelite army, they should never have 
learned to accommodate Goliath yelling at them. Like, that's not what an army does. We can't just learn to, like, live with this person. Like, how long were they going to let it last for? But they'd learn to, like, accommodate Goliath yelling at them, ignore it, chill in their camp, eat some food, um, and just, like, every day do the same thing. And in our life, I think it's dangerous to let big things, you know, things, giants in our lives, like, for us to accommodate them and let them stay in our lives and for us to get comfortable with them there. And I guess both responses that Israel had, to be terrified and to accommodate their giants, were both bad responses. Um, and I'm sure we can see in our life, if we let a giant paralyze us or we let a giant just live there and deal with it, they're both bad responses. But what is a good response? Um, I think to, to understand what a good response is, um, we need to, I guess I want to explain to you my second point, and I believe when we look more into the story, um, we can understand, I guess, how we can respond to giants in our lives based on that. Um, so my second observation this morning, and this is kind of where the whole message was born out of. This is three words I read on the back of Louis Giglio's book, and it kind of changed my whole perspective. Um, and my second observation is, you aren't David. And in the paragraph of the book I read, um, Giants Must Fall, um, it asks... Why in the story we often presume that we are supposed to be the character David? And I, I guess like often if we preach this message or we read this message, it kind of challenges us to be like really brave, like really courageous, like trust in God. We can like fight a giant on our own and win if we just like have trust and maybe if we have like some stones, which I don't know, mean something. But if we can trust in God enough and be like brave enough, then we can win a battle on our own. And in the back of the book... Um, Louis said, well, he suggested that perhaps maybe we interpret the story that way when really we should be interpreting it that we aren't supposed to be David, but that really David is Jesus. And this idea struck me and it challenged me. Um, and I began to think about it. I'm like, man, it's a story about this young, unqualified boy who became a savior of a people because he turned up and fought a battle that they couldn't win. And as I thought about it, I'm like, does that remind you of another story? Like, that reminds me of like the story the Bible is all about, about a young and qualified saviour who turned up and who was a nobody and won a battle that we could never have won for ourselves, like Jesus. And as I began to think about it, and I read the back of this book, I was challenged that the story of David, as we interpret it, we can interpret it as like a foreshadowing of the story of Jesus. And all through the Bible, the stories, like people talk about how David, like Jesus is a new David, and like David was this king who came and did all this awesome stuff, and that Jesus is like following him. And I guess as I thought about that idea, it took so much pressure off me. I'm like, man, when I read the story of David, and I'm like, I know that I have giants in my own life. If I interpret this not as I'm David, I need to be the person who goes in there and who kicks butt this giant, who like gets my courage, who like sorts out my problems, who like gets my rocks, who goes in there and be so brave and so courageous and like fights all my fears. That like that's inspirational, but that's also a lot of pressure for, for us, right? But if we can read the story and we're like, man, if this story isn't about me being David, maybe I'm the Israelites who actually couldn't fight my battle. Maybe I couldn't kill the giant, but Jesus came and he decided to do it for us even when we couldn't. And I guess I love, I lo I love this idea um, that God doesn't call us to be epic warriors with no fear, but that he actually came to fight the battle for us. And that, I guess means that we don't have to be the hero in the story and we don't have to have the pressure like 
We don't have to be our hero. We're not supposed to be our hero, but actually Jesus is supposed to be the hero. And it's not about us. It doesn't all ride on us. We don't have to fight our giants on our own. And I guess, like, it's weird because this isn't a new idea, the idea that Jesus is, like, our Savior, right? Like, that's, like, what the whole New Testament and the Bible is about. We've heard that before, but that Jesus won the big battle. But I guess the thing that excited me in this is that also if we can read the Bible saying that, you know, this story is actually a foreshadow of Jesus, Jesus also came to one win the smaller battles in our life. He didn't just come to win that one big battle where, like, he, like, bets in and death and, you know, like, we don't... He also came to beat the smaller, more personal battles in our life for us as well, and that means that we don't have to fight them on our own. And 1 Corinthians... Sorry, I think it's 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it says this, My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And Paul says this. He says, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. And, you know, I'd always read the story of David as in, like, I need to just get my crap together and go and fight my giant. I need to be brave and strong and trust in God and trust that if I'm going to trust in him, like, nothing can go wrong. And that's not not true. Like, I'm not saying this morning, like, don't just trust in God. But when we can understand that actually our weakness is all right, like, for the army of Israel, their weakness was actually all right because they couldn't have won the battle. Um, and that when we're weak, we're strong. Um, and I love that. And this verse is cool because it shows us that, like, not only did his grace save us, but his grace fights for us when we can't, when we actually, like, when we're terrified or when we're, like, begin to just live with something because we don't know what to do about it. God's grace still fights when, for us then when the battle's too hard or when it's too big. And, you know, I love this idea. Um, and I've been thinking about it over the past couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, just this idea that, if the story of David really is like a foreshadow of Jesus, then we, we never have to be alone in the fight we have. And I guess that's the one thing that like scares me about the thing of David. It was like he was so alone. Like it was just up to him. It was like the one-on-one battle. You know, it wasn't the whole army. And like in life, if we think it's just all about us, you know, we have to be alone. Like it's just our fight. We need to get enough faith and enough courage to just go and do it by ourselves. Like man up enough to just do it. I think we're looking at it wrong, you know, because... Jesus actually says, it's not about you. It's not about what you have done or what you can do. It's not about how much faith you can have or how much trust you can have or like how good you are about slinging a rock. It's actually not about your strength. It's about your weakness because when you're weak, you're actually strong and it makes no sense, but it's like the most beautiful, non-making sense thing ever. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and so my third observation this morning, um, and this is a good one, I love this, is that your giant is already dead. I don't know if you've ever won something you should never have won before. Like, um, I don't know. I, I remember a story when I was at high school um, where I entered a tennis competition purely because other people at my school were pressuring me to join because when everyone played a sport, you got house points. And so I was in a, like the blue house called Jellico, and um, we were at like the leaderboard of the year. And so they're like, 
we need everyone to go to the tennis day because every single person who goes, we get one point for you going. And I like to, I already explained, I think I'm good at a lot of things, but tennis is not one of them. Like, I play like soccer, like sports like that. Hand-eye coordination is not high. So like volleyball, tennis, just no, no. I don't do them. And so I was convinced purely on the facts um, to get some house points and also like the classic, you get like a couple of hours or a day off school. Um, we got to walk down to the tennis courts, which meant like Miss Math, which is always good, Miss Science. And so I decided I would go to the tennis competition. And I had zero, um, like, I wasn't even like thinking I was going to be good. I didn't go in there with anything. I was just going along for the day, for the ride. I didn't even own a tennis racket. I borrowed a friend's. And as I started playing the games, it turned out that I was so bad at tennis, I was kind of good. Have you ever had that experience before? Like, I've had this experience, like, when I played football, we played in a good team. And sometimes, occasionally, we would play a team that was so bad, they would just confuse us so much about what we normally did that, like, we would start losing because, like, even though we were so much of a better team than them, because they were just so terrible at football, they would just be running around, like, confusing us. We wouldn't know what to do. And this happened that day in tennis. I was just so terrible, I think. This is the only thing I can figure that would have happened that I began to like win most of my games. And at the start, that wasn't that surprising because it was like just in the, the pools and there was all the kids who just came to get a day of school. And so like I won a few games and like that was cool. And I was like, man. And then I came up against a good friend of mine who was a really, really good tennis player. And so she had like played for the school team her whole time at high school. She had played tennis since she was young. Um, and she loved tennis. She did like tennis club like, I don't know, two nights a week. She loved tennis, and so I came up against her, and I was excited because it was going to be fun, play with a mate. She was going to win, and I was probably going to have to walk back to school. But during the game, um, I, like, confused her. I don't know. I had the ball everywhere. Um, somehow it managed to go over the net. And at the end of the game, I won. And through the game, I think not helping is the fact that every time I got a point, she would get more and more frustrated because she knew how terrible at tennis I was. And she was getting more and more mad about it, that she was playing worse and worse because she was more and more frustrated, and at the end of the game, I won, and she cried, and it was very awkward, uh, and because she was a friend of mine, and we both kind of knew what had happened, we wrote on the scorecard that she won, she progressed, and I went back to school, we just like, lied that she won, because we, we all knew that like I wasn't a, a stronger tennis player than her, but sometimes you just have those things where you win something you like really shouldn't have. Um, has anyone ever had a moment like that before? <laughs> Some people would <laughs> be like, no. <laughs> Um, and I think, like, for the Israelite army, if you look at it from any other view than hindsight, or maybe, like, God's sight, they should never have won that battle. Like, you know, like, when you play, like, a PlayStation game, which is the only thing I can think of. I think it's in rugby as well. But, like, on the screen beforehand, like, your characters, they get shown, like, your strengths versus the other team. And so, like, you try and choose two people that match, or, like, the best one you can has got, like, the biggest strength. Like, if they had put that on a screen like Israel versus the Philistines, Israel should never have won, right? Like, they had nothing. They're like, we have some really scared people and a 14-year-old boy. That's about it. And this side, they've got, like, all this armor and Goliath. And, like, the battle was, like, pretty stacked. There is no way in any of you except hindsight that anyone would have ever placed a bet on Israel, Israel winning the war. Like, the, the odds would have been, like, I don't know, a 1,000 to 1 or something. Like, it would have been bad for them. No one would have ever thought... They won, but just like me at tennis, but in a completely different way, obviously. They won a battle which they should never have won. And I think in our lives, sometimes we can be in a place where we look at something in our life, maybe let's just say, for an example, like a fear in our life, um, maybe like an 
anxiety or something and we think maybe we tell ourselves we shouldn't actually beat it because we haven't done enough or we convince ourselves that we actually don't deserve to beat that giant or to not have that in our lives. We actually like, you know, actually it's my fault it's there. I actually, it actually kind of like, you know, I, it's my fault. Like this, I don't deserve to not have it there. We can kind of get to a place where we think we deserve to lose. Um, but the best news is that for Israel, um, even though they should have lost, even though everyone would have guessed they would have lost, David came, um, or I guess if we can look at it as an example, like Jesus came and actually won a battle that they would have every single time lost on their own, but instead they won because of Jesus. And I think in our lives too, sometimes we can look at our lives and be like, you know what, I deserve to lose in that, or I'm probably going to lose in that. But when we understand that just like David came and saved Israel, that Jesus came to do the same for us, and that he's already done it. Like, it's not he's, he may do, he might. Like, this is in the Bible, like the story of Jesus where a boy was born on earth, like God was born on earth and came and lived a perfect life and died for our sins. Like, he already has killed our giants. Um, and I, I love that. Um, I think if you, if you when we're facing battles in our life which seem big and seem hard, um, that don't look like, they're ever going to go away. We can be sure in the fact that Jesus has already come and won the battle that counts. He's already come and won the battle against sin and death and fear and anxiety and everything we're ever going to face. Jesus has already won that battle. Um, and I, I love a verse in Romans 8. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It says this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would even dare point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. And I love Paul's question at the start of this verse. It says, with God on our side like this, how can we lose? And I think, like, if we can get that into our spirit, like what Paul understood, that because of what Jesus has already done, we actually can't lose. Like, we can't lose. Like, the battles we come up against, we can't lose them. It's not like we probably won't lose them or, like, we shouldn't lose them because of Jesus. It's like we actually can't. Like, the battle against fear in our lives, like, we actually can't lose that battle because fear has already been defeated in our life, or the battle against whatever whatever our giant in our life is, that giant has actually already been defeated, and it's not like, maybe, it's like, we actually can't lose it, and I guess, like, I, I'm, yeah, Paul got it, he understood it, that, you know, like, if God didn't hesitate to do everything for us, like, doing all this, like, we actually can't lose, it's already happened, like, he's already, it says, um, the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, like, because of that, we actually can't lose, and I think in my life there's so many things where I, I look at it and I'm like, you know, like one day I might be able to get past that or like one day. But like I guess when I read this, I'm like, man, it's so good, God. It's not like if maybe, if I'm good enough, if I, I don't know, um, read my Bible enough or pray enough or like get enough sozos. It's like actually I can't lose it. This, this actually can't defeat me in my life. And that's something we should take confidence in, that our giant, or our giants, whatever they are, we actually can't lose against them. And that doesn't mean that, like, everything's going to be easy. Of, of course, it, like, that's the tension, I guess, in the story. Like, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. Just because 
Israel wasn't going to lose. It didn't mean that they didn't actually have to sit in the valley and have like the giant yell at them. Um, they still went and still like they still had to hear Goliath every day yelling at them. And I guess just because we know Jesus doesn't mean we're never going to see giants. It doesn't mean giants are never going to yell at us. But it means that we can never lose against the giants. And this morning, um, when I wrote this message, I planned this message a few weeks ago. I was going to finish the message here because um, I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's a really inspiring point to finish on that. We actually can't lose that whatever you're going through in your life, you can't lose. Um, you're not going to lose um, because of what Jesus has done. But I guess over the last week or so, Jesus, I feel like God was speaking to me and speaking to me about what he wanted to speak to us about, um, which was a little bit more than just that. And so this morning I have a fourth observation. Um, and that is that Jesus is always in the story. And I feel like a little bit like, oh, do I have to talk about this bit? Because when I was ending on observation three, it was a little bit more of a highlight, you know, like, you can't lose, like, yay. But, <laughs> like, yeah, no, sorry, it sounds sarcastic. But like, <laughs> yes. Um, but point four is a little bit more challenging for me. Um, but it's good too. It's good and challenging both. Um, so Jesus is always in the story. And I guess the thing I want to communicate this morning is that Jesus is also always, he's in the story of David and Goliath, even when we don't see him, but he's also always in our story and in my story and in your story, even in the times where we don't necessarily see him. And Louis Giglio, who wrote the book that I didn't read that inspired this message, um, he was working on a project called the Jesus Bible, and I'm not sure if anyone owns the Jesus Bible. It's basically a NIV Bible um, where they go through and they just look, like talk about Jesus through the whole way through the Bible. Um, and so they're like in every story looking for Jesus, and it's kind of like a study Bible, I believe. There's like notes in it just about Jesus because they had this revelation one day, and it makes so much sense to me that BC isn't really a thing. And so like if we look at history, there's like a timeline, AD, BC, and BC is like before Christ. But Louis Giglio and his team were like, wait a second, there's no such thing as before Christ. Like if Jesus was there at the beginning, like in Genesis 1, if Jesus was there, like if the Trinity of God was there, then there is no such thing as like before Christ. Like that doesn't actually make make sense in, in our, like at all. And so he was like, man, if there's no such thing as BC, and there's not really such thing as like after this as well because well there is but you know like sometimes we can look at Jesus in the world and kind of squish it down just 30 32 whatever years he was alive on earth that's like when we look at Jesus that's what we see that's Jesus but they said man the truth is that Jesus was there since the very beginning and Jesus is still alive now it's like he died but he came back to life it's not like he's not there and they're like man when we read the bible if we just like confine Jesus to like Matthew to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Thanks, Craig. If we just confine Jesus to those four books of the Bible, then we're missing it because Jesus has been there and He is still here the whole time. And so they wrote this Bible called the Jesus Bible, looking through the whole Bible from the very start and also to the end, saying like, "Where are we missing Jesus? Because we've confined Him to only being alive for thirty years." And when they got to this story, they're like, "Man, I guess what I talked about this morning—that actually this story is—it's about David and Goliath, sure, but it's also about." foreshadowing Jesus and what he would do for us. And so, man, this story is actually about 
Jesus coming to fight our giants and Jesus and foreshadowing what Jesus would come and do and that he would die for us. And just like David was a young boy who came and even though it didn't make sense, died and saved a whole nation, that Jesus would come and die and not just save one nation, but every single person who like wanted to accept him. And Laurie talks about how it's sometimes he believed, as I write in this Bible, really easy for us to miss Jesus, even in the Bible. Like when we're reading the Bible about God, it's easy to miss Jesus, which kind of seems crazy, right? But it's true. Like I thought about that. I'm like, man, I never think like, you know, like what is Jesus doing here? Like what is, I just think, oh, it's before Jesus was born. And I was like, man, that's such a good point. And I guess this is what God challenged me with um, over the last week. And I want to challenge with you this challenge you with this morning that just like when we can read the Bible and we can miss Jesus and stories and things and give credit to other people when maybe that really should go to Jesus, we can also miss Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. Just like it's so easy to read the Old Testament and be like, Jesus wasn't there. It's so easy to look at our lives sometimes and look at our battles and our fights and forget that Jesus is there and that he's fighting for us and he has been and he's been doing stuff and he's still doing stuff and he's not dead but he's still moving, he's still working in our lives. And sometimes we can look at our lives and forget that and just look at how hard it looks and how we're trying to do it on our own and figure out how we're going to do everything and forget that Jesus is there and he's moving and he's doing things and doing things. And I believe, like for me, this is what God wanted to speak to me about and I believe that's what he wanted to challenge us about this morning because I believe the worst thing we can do is to stop looking for Jesus in that story, but also in our story. And just like in the story of David in our lives, if we forget what Jesus has done, that he's defeated our giants, but also if we forget that he's still doing things right now, then we miss the point. And if we make it about how brave and strong we can be or how we can do it on our own, then we actually miss what's really happening in our story. We, we give credit to ourselves and really it should be going to Jesus and when we stop looking for him, not just like in the Bible, but in our lives, when we stop remembering to look for him, saying, God, what are you doing this week? God, what are you doing in this situation? What have you already done in this part of my life? Then we miss, we're missing it. And I called this message this morning, what do you see? And it kind of probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but I called it this because I was challenged by God about what I saw when I looked at my own life and how I saw him a part of my own life and how I saw Jesus in my life, just like I guess I was challenged with how I saw Jesus in, this, in the Bible and the story of David. And I believe that the perspective we take on God and what he's doing and Jesus in our lives is so important. It's probably one of the most important things. You know, if we can live our lives forgetting to look for God, forgetting to say, God, what are you doing? Then we'll just live our lives thinking that we're doing it on our own. We're scraping through, like figuring it out. But if we can remember to say, God, what are you doing? Then we're going to see a so much more beautiful story, a story that makes more sense, a story that's brings more freedom where they realize actually God you're doing this in this relationship or in this like fear in my life or in this God you're actually working and doing things and I guess sometimes I've lived lots of my life asking like how will I do this or sometimes also God where are you um but I guess like my question is what happens when we when our perspective changes and we begin to ask God not like where are you or what are you doing or how am I going to do this myself but God, what have you already done in my life? What are you doing this week in my life? God, what are you doing in this situation in my life? What are you doing that I haven't seen, that I haven't looked at, that I've thought is just me, but I haven't seen you actually doing something? And I believe we always need to be looking for what Jesus is doing here and now, not just like thousands, like 2,000 years ago, you died on the cross, God, thanks for that. But what is God doing 
here and now in our lives? What is he doing that we're not even noticing right now? What are we doing that we're just taking credit for? What are we doing that we just think was a fluke? What is he doing that we don't even notice, that we don't even know he's doing right now? And I guess I was so challenged to not forget that Jesus wasn't just alive for 30 years. And I know you all know this. Like, I know we, like, in our heads, we all know that Jesus wasn't just alive for 30 years. Like, we talk about it all the time. But do we really remember, like, man, Jesus is alive right now and he's doing stuff in my story. He's doing things in my life. He's fighting battles for me. He's doing things when everything seems hard. I know that it's not just me fighting on my own, but he's fighting for me. Um, Yeah. I guess it challenged me to remember that in my weakness, it's all right because I know that he's actually there fighting for me. Just like in the story of David when the Israelites' weakness kind of seems terrible, but actually it's their strength because when they were weak, then David could be strong. And when we're weak, then Jesus can be strong. And I guess, yeah. Originally, my message was going to be like, I just wanted to tell you that um, even though you have giants in your life that I guess... You're not supposed to be David. You don't have to fight them on your own. You don't have to do it by yourself and that actually your giants are already dead. And if you leave knowing that this morning, then that is great. Um, I think that'll be awesome for you. That'll encourage you and, I guess, help you and let you know that you don't have to do things on your own. But I guess I felt like God challenged me this morning that that's cool we walk out of here like that, but we need to walk out of here this morning realizing that God is doing more things than we sometimes give him credit for. God is working in more places than we see. And if we can say, God, I want you to change my perspective. God, I want you to show me. God, I want to see what you're doing here, what you're doing now, what you're doing in my life, what you're doing in places I haven't even noticed, God. Then we'll walk out of here and we'll be seeing Jesus in more places and in more ways than we have. And I think that's the best thing we can, I think that's the best thing we can do. And I guess even over the week, as I've asked myself this question, I've been like, God, what are you doing? God, what have you been doing in my life that I haven't even noticed? God, what things have I thought was someone else or was me or someone helping me out? But actually, God, it was you doing this. And as I've thought that, I've been like, man, God, I've realized all these things and I've seen things and I've seen, been like, God, man, it's not about me. And God, it was never me. And none of this was me, but it's about you, Jesus. And it's you doing things. And the only reason I'm doing this is because of what you've done. And so I, I'm about to finish this morning, but I guess um, I just want to give you a chance to respond to, it. I guess, any of those um, four things. If maybe you're like, man, I've thought I was David and I had to do it on my own and it's been so much pressure and I've been trying to like scrape through and figure it out myself, but actually the best news is that I don't have to be David, that Jesus is David and that he's already won the battle for me. If you want to respond to that, that's cool, but I also want to um, invite you to respond to, I guess, the question like, God, what are you doing now? And saying, God, maybe I've forgotten to look what you're doing. Maybe I've just got so used to doing everything, I've forgotten to look for what you're doing. And I know that you're still alive now and I know you're still doing things. And God, I want to see what you're doing in my life now. And so if you just want to, um, everyone jump to your feet and close your eyes. I just want to pray um, or invite you to join a prayer with me. And this morning, I genuinely want to pray for this myself because I think I still need to keep learning this and understanding this, and I want to, yeah, respond to this more. But if you want to respond to it this morning, maybe first one, you're like, I don't want to stop doing this on my own. God, I thank you that I don't have to be David. Or maybe if you're like, God, maybe I've forgotten to look what you're doing, just like the story of David when we can so easily forget to see you in it. Maybe I've forgotten to see 
you are my life. And so if everyone can just close your eyes just to respect everyone else. If that's you this morning and you want to respond to either of those things, I just want to shake your hand up. I'm just going to pray with you where you are. I invite you to join my prayer this morning. Awesome. That's awesome.